How you doing? doing? I'm doing good. I'm laying up in the bed. You? I'm doing. Oh, you sound like you sound like did you have a day off? And no, I go to work at two. Oh, all right. I did my first mm-hmm. podcast last night. Oh yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, I did yeah. my actually I did my second one because I messed up the first one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what so, you did it on? I did it on um I did it on Ron Allen. Ron Allen is one of the first. He's the first black. Uh, he's one of the first black professional skateboarders, but he's also the first professional street skateboarder. So um, it's very important to skateboarding and the skateboarding culture. And come to find out, check this out. He was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Wow. Very small world indeed. But yes, he's uh, someone I looked up to as a kid. I used to have his pictures all on the wall, and you know, so that was a, that was a beautiful thing. I wanted him to be first because it was very important to me. And um, you know, just being a black skateboarder, I thought it was always very important to show to show love to um, our heroes. Period. It's WCRP. Now we are 1,000% live right now. So we are, we are doing this. We are doing this. Thank you once again. I can't thank you enough for your patience. How are you tonight, sir? I'm wonderful. You all good? Chilling. All right, all right. Um, yeah, I want to say thank you again, man. I was having some uh, technical uh, technical difficulties. I apologize. And I just went ahead and brought an app, and I figured, you know, to start this off, I figured um, it's very humbling, number one, to make a lot of mistakes. I'm sure, you know, you know this, and being older, you can, you know, you can talk, you can talk me through, and you talk a lot of people through things like this, but also um, to always stick with the original plan, and the original plan was for it to be a 70s style radio interview, you know, and so the audio. It wasn't so much about having the crispest audio. It was about having the sound of of the conversation and the content. You know, it wasn't I wasn't going to focus on having, you know, the new technological whatever sound. Yeah, I wanted it to sound clear and good, but I wanted it to, you know, I wanted to be focused on the content. So, once again, I thank you, man. Um, I really appreciate you. How are you tonight, Ron? That's awesome. I I, I love that. The kind of old schoolness of it. That's dope. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's kind of kind of what I grew up on. You know, it's um, hanging at my uncle's, hanging at my uncle's uh, in his room and just listening to all this stereo stuff. That that just always captured me. You know, I always like old stereo. Stuff. I'm a big fan of the '70s, early '80s, '74 baby. So um, you know, I, I think I think I'm a little older than I am. <laughs> old soul, as they say, right? Yeah, I, I think I am. You know, there's something that happened like the day, and I revert to like a an eight year old child. I'm like, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it's like I it, I see that. Like I bought this. I've been recording some music at home, and kind of in that same thing. You know, recorded a song, thought it was really dope, and then looked over and hadn't pressed record. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just like, I was like, man, cool, I, I did it, I know how to use Zoom, and I'm like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, I went with a straight recorder this time, and we can't miss it, you know, this is, 
that's I like the old school stuff. You know, it was no, it was. You know what I mean? Like the old stuff, you you can't you can't miss with the old stuff. The old stereo, yeah, it wasn't. That, I mean, you that old stuff is that's where it's at. That gritty sound, that that background. I, I love that. I, I really love that about mm-hmm. audio. Um, that's what really drove me to do the podcast is to keep it on a radio format like that. So this is going to be great, man. This is um, you know, you're the perfect guy for first guest, and I couldn't ask for more. You know, so thank uh-huh. you. Right back at you. This is going to be fun. I mean, where do you want to start? <laughs> I mean, where do you want to start? You want to start me? We talked about, you know, a lot of people don't know, man. Um, you're from Jacksonville, Florida, like myself. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you want to touch on that a little bit? Or? <laughs> With kids, you know, my dad's 25 years in the Navy. And so, you know, I, I was born there when my dad was stationed there in Jacksonville with the rest of my family. And then, I think right after that we headed west to come to the, you know to come to Cali. Oh, we met, no, I think we went we went from Jacksonville north and we're in like a little town outside of um Albany, Schenectady, New York. And I remember I went to do some skate demos up there, and it was like crazy to be driving around on town on roads that I was like as a kid drove on. So that was kind of crazy. And then we moved out west. And when we came out west, I mean, we thought we were coming to, like, beaches and shit. My parents were, you know, my dad was in the Navy, so he was um, stationed to a place called Lemoore Naval Air Station. And if you drive down I-5 out in the middle of the Central Valley, you'll see, a, like, a plane fly by, like a jet or something, and that's, we were in the middle of the Central Valley. Like, you know, I remember just being like, where are we? This is not the California that I know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. holy smoke. And like, but, and that, and that was the thing, living in that, like, by Celia, you're just completely like, there's nothing to do, okay? So, then, that's what, like, skateboarding came along. And it's like, and actually, when I was in junior high, I set up a skateboard contest, but did not even own a skateboard. So, that was the, the kind of crazy part that, like, I was, like, in student government, and the kids came, and you know, we had an idea of putting on a skateboard contest, so I helped to organize it and everything, but I, I didn't have a skateboarding, couldn't skate in it. And so I remember from that point on, I really wanted a skateboard. And my, I, it's like I got one, and my parents didn't even wrap it well under the TV, under the Christmas tree. I knew exactly what it was, like, and I was just so stoked to get it. And like, like my mom always says, that's the last time I saw you. Like, I literally got on that board and was gone, like, out skating, out skating. And I was lucky in Visalia. These little towns that I lived in, like they had these, like the town I lived in had this crazy gutter system that was like like a little baby transition from like the sidewalk down to the street, and like the water would run into it. But when there was no water, you could go up, go down, go up, and you could just carve it the whole time. And you could spend the whole day learning how to carve, and that's basically what I did. I stayed in that gutter. It was around, I kind of lived in a cul-de-sac. That's just all I did. Like we shared a board. So until I got my own, because that's why I got one, because we shared a board. I came home upset that I didn't get one. So my parents were all like, you know, they got me one that Christmas. And I think that was like Christmas of 76, 75. And then it's like, I didn't even have, a, like even back then, I didn't really know about skateboarding. I didn't even know there was an industry of skateboarding. I just knew that I liked skateboarding. So the thing is my friend Mike's mom, my friend Mike Stephan's mom worked at a toy store, and she could get Veriflex boards. So she she would get us like I would ride predominantly Eddie Elgato Elgueras because they were like the board I liked from Veriflex. 
she could get that. And we and she could order some boards, but it was like back then it was really hard to get boards. Hey, uh, say I love you. Tell you everything's fine with me, and um, I hope you're doing good. So where you at, Doc? I'm in Massachusetts. Yeah. Are you living your best life? Yes, I am. I'm doing exactly what I want. Other people are doing what they can. It's interesting you talk about uh, your father being in the military and traveling because. You know, we have a lot of comparisons. Um, I was also born in Jacksonville, and then after my father was in the army, and then oh, okay. we, we moved we moved away to Fort Hood, you know, in uh, Colleen, Texas. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, people don't know that about me, man. It, uh, I spent my first. I was probably lived there until like six or seven, you know, and um, I stayed down in Colleen, and yeah, I just remember it was like a vast desert, you know, and. Um, and we just lived in this apartment complex, and there was just, you know, there's all this, all these different kids that played together. And like, I don't really remember much of it. I just remember, I remember um, this one dude's parents had a, a laser disc, and, and we watched Grease on it because I remember that was like the jam back then. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the first Star Wars in Colleen, and I remember uh, speaking of Grease. <laughs> this is embarrassing to even talk about. My, they had a little uh, kindergarten dance, and and uh, they had, they dressed us all up. So they dressed me up like one of the dudes from Greece. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, Yo, I was like, I was like, I was like the the black dude that wasn't in Greece, but I was in Greece. So, I, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's all I remember from Texas, man. And um, you know, my parents had some friends growing up there, but. That's that's interesting, you know. A lot of us, a lot of people don't know, you know. A lot of us did move around a lot as kids. I, I see it. I, I feel as if a lot of skaters, you know, like a lot of skaters have that in common. You know, like a lot of skaters were moved around a lot and shifted around, and it made it a. Do you? I feel as if it made it a lot easier for us to make friends and stuff like oh, yeah. that. From from like you know from traveling around and being a little cultured as, as you're younger, you know, as you move around, you're not so. You're not so hesitant to walk up to people in a different school that look different than you and stuff like that because you're used to it. You know, you're yeah, yeah. you're, um, you're overly used to it. You know what I mean? And uh, you're doing that. You've been. And it, it's kind of like a blessing when you're a kid. You know, because a lot of kids now. Uh, you know, it's really funny because later, like, like, so my parents, you know, when we came across the United States the first time, we had a Ford Fairlane, and you know, parents got the kids in the car and drove across the United States and. When I was a kid, I don't remember much of the drives. There were parts that we I do remember. This is so funny. I do remember, like, there was they, there was these restaurants that said that, you know, no black people. That was kind of strange. Um, and my sisters, used, my sisters got a kick out of the fact that whenever there was, like, a black-only toilet, that it was, like, a hole in the ground, which for a young woman was a lot easier to use than an actual toilet. So they also thought that was... <laughs> But then when I got older and had my own companies, I remember, like, I got challenged. That, oh, you bought this new car? And I said, yeah. And they were like, you bought that new car? Like, you didn't even make payments. I was like, nah, man, I just went and bought it. And they were like, why did you do that? I said, well, it was 13800 and I had, like, 30000 in my bank account. And I knew that if I tried to make payments, I'd forget, and then they'd come and get it. So I just like went to them like, how much is it? And they're like thirteen eight. And I was like, can I write you a check? And the lady was like, 
what do you do for a living? I said, oh, <laughs> I just and I wrote like I wrote, they, I wrote a check and then they had to call my bank to see if I could write a thirteen thousand eight hundred dollar check for a car, and the bank was like, yeah, that's Ron. <laughs> then, yeah. It was like crazy to be like, like you know, I'm like wow, I'm like okay, I, in my life I'd rather do that. Like buy it outright and payments because I'm like you forget stupidly something like whatever. So you just gotta always be on point, you know. So if you just pay for it all the way, you ain't got nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I, I made that mistake. Um, this is funny. I never really tell people the story. Is uh, I used to have a Jeep like it was back when I remember when Sal put me on 23, you know, and I was making some pretty good money on 101. When Sal got, I got on 23, Sal was like, Sal hit me with the checks. I was like, I went out and got a Jeep. I mean, first thing I did was got a Jeep. And I was living with Alyssa Steamer at the time. And so uh, her and I was like, yeah, let's go back to Florida. You know, like, let's just drive back. I got a car. Let's go see everybody. And she wanted to see her parents. And, uh, we were all just psyched. We were kids, man. She was just on toy machine. It was, it was exciting times. And so, uh, so I get the Jeep. And, um, you know, I had the Jeep for a couple of years. And, and so I was just like, kept missing payments here and there. You know what I mean? Just got into that lifestyle of missing payments. Had had a Jeep in my uh in my underground parking garage. And this was in LA. At the time it was uh, the neighborhood was called the campus. So it was me, Mike Carroll, Scott Johnson, everybody lived in this little you know, Sean Cliver, Knoxville, uh Dave Carney, every the big brother was right, everything was in this like four block radius, man. Dimitri, everybody lived there. I remember I came home from an iPad tour in Japan, pulled up, got out the cab, and I was like, that looks like some scrape shit on the ground. And I looked in the garage, man, like my, my Jeep was gone. <laughs> yeah, I was mad as fuck. Oh. Man, they repoed my shit, man. I, did, I, I didn't pay the bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I thought I was cool. I, I was like, I get up on the bill, you know. And so from that point, like, I never really, you know, unless I unless I paid up right for it, I never got another car, you know, because I learned the hard way with that. It's like, them people want their money. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna come find you. You know, they'll come find you for that little that little G or two. They'll, they'll scrap up. Well, and, we'll see that, and that lends itself to you know, life is funny how it lends itself to those types of things because I had gone to college in nineteen eighty to go to UCSB and I had pretty much thought that I was going to college, you know, I'm gonna go here and go to school and I got these college loans that like I was like, Well, I didn't even really see my parents sign for them, you know, and Right when I first turned pro, you know, my dad gets me up and he's like, they've been calling about the loans. And I'm like, who? He goes, the people you ain't been answering the phone for. (laughs) 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 And I was like, yeah, Dad, they call a lot. What's up with that? He goes, you owe them money. I go, oh, I do? (laughs) He's like, yeah, and I signed my name saying that you would pay them that money back. And I go, oh. And he's like, you know, if you need the money from me, you'll have to wait. You know, you don't stand in line. Like, my dad's like, basically, you got sisters and other people, family. Or, yeah. you know, and then I said, well, I think the skateboard thing is doing pretty well. I might, I'm going to ask them if they can help me. And so I, I called up Mike Tronaski, and I was like, hey, and then my college loans are due. Can we, like, can you help me pay them off? And he was like, well, how much are they? And I was like, they're like thirty, forty thousand. And he's like, whoa, you know, I'm like, yeah, bro. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't even get a degree, you know. And he's like, yeah. He goes, well, you know, let's just. He goes, yeah, you know, we'll see what we can do. So we, and, and he went to Tony, and I remember Tony was kind of too deep in something else, so Tony couldn't help. And then somehow we paid him, 
And then they took the money out of my checks. And I was just like, whoa. And so for the hottest second, I was like, well, I did the college thing. I went to college. I got a job. And then I paid off my loans through my skateboarding. I paid off my college loans. So I did what you're supposed to do. But I didn't. I never got a degree. I went to the school of the University of Adversity, School of Hard Knocks. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, and <laughs> but, that's the same but thing. What I, I learned. I I literally learned at that when I was at college. Because I remember, okay, I was at college. Times are getting tough, and I went and got a job. And I got a job at this place called Scotch and Strolling that was on the Goleta Pier. And the guy's like. You're going to start at the bottom. And I was like, I don't care. I'll take any job. You know, And I shouldn't have said that, but, I, you know, I needed a job. So I was selling hot dogs from the snack bar on the pier in Galita Beach, right? Which is the if you could ask anybody to work at the beach on a hot Saturday or Sunday, slanging hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. But. Okay, I was making good, pretty decent money. And then I remember they needed a busboy, and so I was, like, doing that. I did my shift in the, you know, for the, the whatever, the, the pier. And then I did bus stuff. And then I started, like, helping out, like, doing some assistant, like, stuff with the wait staff and the lunch. And I just literally worked my way up. So at one point I was, like, I was part of the wait staff at lunch. I was part of the wait staff at dinner. I was, like, assistant chef. I was doing everything I could. And I remember riding my bike to work one day, and I was like, you know, I was paying all this money to go to college, but I got, like, a really good job. Like, I got one of those jobs that if I, if I stayed in this job for another 10 years, I'll make pretty good money. I make, like, $200 a night just in tips. So it was just like that, you know. It's such a realization of, like, whoa, you know, like, what, what, is, what is college actually doing for me? And I remember from that point, it was like kind of like I was always kind of, you know, I, well, you know, I had this kind of different choice because I was cheerleading. So to cheerlead, you had to stay in college. But at the over here, skateboarding, it, I had no rules, no rules in skateboarding. Skateboarding is over here, no rules. And I remember, like I was telling you about the, I was trying to grow dreads, and they, I had this, I had a cheerleading job. I had this cheerleading job that I was really stoked on because, like, I was teaching cheerleading throughout the United States. I was like Western coast of you know, America, going to different colleges in Santa, University of Santa Cruz, University of Santa Barbara, teaching cheerleading. And I was just like, girls too, though. <laughs> oh my God, I was so. You know, it's the funny thing, man. Who's back then would be calling you gay, and they should have been calling you pervert because at the end of the day, you're hanging with the chicks. It ain't like you're hanging with the dudes. So it's like, how gay are you when you're standing on a football field slapping butters in the ass and jumping on top of each other? Thank you. Thank you. You understand? Dudes, dudes, dudes standing around smelling like nut sweat. I'd much rather be kicking it in a room full of girls. You have any, any day of the week. You know, and it's like, like and I just come from someone that plays sports, Ron. You know what I mean? It's like, because a lot of dudes, it's like, to be honest, you know, uh, the male ego can be a bitch. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of hard to be around a lot of dudes that already act like females. So to me, I'm like, it might as well be around the females. You know what I mean? Like, like that's kind of that's kind of where it's at. So with the cheerleading thing, I wouldn't see nothing wrong with that. Like, hey, dog, put socks on. Put me in the game. Okay, Sly. Glad you're doing good. I love you too, and um, I'll speak to you soon. I'll call you back a little later this week. I might be, I might be, um. I might be getting out of here a little sooner than I think. So I'll let you know, but I'm, I'll call you some blah, I love you too. So where are you heading at next? You know, when I was in first interviewing, I was the guy. So partner stunts I would do, you know, I would do with another woman. But as I got 
into like the more of the professional cheerleading. I was kind of small, and there were like six four, six five dudes that were cheerleaders. So all of a sudden, they were looking at me like, "You're gonna stand in our hands, and we're gonna throw your ass up in the fucking sky." And I remember <laughs> that was like, "Whoa, what a trip!" Like, like you know, you think you're big because you're cheerleading, and all of a sudden you see these dudes that they're in the weight room, and they're like, you know, they're serious about their cheerleading, and they're big dudes. And it's like, you kind of just go, what a trip. Like, it's like you opened, it opened up my eyes to, like, the reality of, like, uh, cheerleading was a serious thing that when I was doing it, even though I was, like, I think I was one of the first male mascots at my school, that's a big deal. It was such a bigger picture than that. And it's, like, kind of, like, what made me, like, realize that. For the USA staff thing, I remember my dad took me to the tryout because it was like serious. Nine o'clock in the morning at some junior college in the middle of like in the middle of the valley. And I remember I was like it was like eight eight like eight o'clock and the thing wasn't until nine and I said to my dad, Yeah, let me just let's go now, you know. Make you know, let me go now, get warmed up, whatever. So we went and when I got there I was like eight thirty. It was like eight thirty. And I, I know there wasn't there there was nobody there. My dad's like, you, well, you're early. I'm like, Yeah, you know, just and so then about 8.45, the, the USA people show up. And I'm like, whoa, you know, this is cool. So they let people in the gym, everyone's in the gym. And I'll never forget this, Clyde. Now she, the lady at 9 o'clock walked over, and she locked the doors. And I, <laughs> everyone looked at her like, what are you doing? And she goes, the one thing that you'll learn here at USA, uh, on time is 8.45. Um, late is any time past 9 o'clock. And so any of those people that want to want to be late to this right now, that they're, they're actually, this is an interview and your interview, part of your interview is showing up on time. So as she locks the door and you can hear the, the, the girls coming and can't get in. They're like, what the <laughs> you know, they're like, everybody that's locked out is your interview's over. Go home. You're done. And that was like the first reality that this shit is mad serious. <laughs> yep. And that's when I realized that, you know, what I was involved in wasn't some fly by night organization. These people were serious. You had to wear these gold sweats and if you were getting picked up and you didn't wear the gold sweats, they fucking fired you. And so it was just like, damn. But they also treated you like an athlete, they showed you ways to train, they gave you great food when you had these like springs like that, these trainings where you'd go to. And they had the best choreographers. They had Paul Abdul to, like, teach you shit. And so you just, if you played your cards right, you just sat in the catbird seat and, and enjoyed. Like, I was, a, I had squads at home that I was, like, their cheerleading coach so I could learn stuff and bring it back to those people. And I was, it was so cool. But when I tried to go dread, I looked kind of, you know, had that nappy head popping off. And they just didn't feel me. And they let me go. After like three years, and like after three years, you can become a like a PI, a program instructor. And I thought that was going to be me, but then because I was trying to go dreads, I got the cuss hunt. And that's when I realized at that point I had learned professionalism. I learned to show up on time. I learned all these crazy things, and I was like, so what am I going to do with them? I can't use them in cheerleading because I'm no longer that. And I was like, I wonder if I use them in skateboarding if it would work. And I said to myself, not like I'm gonna. I was like, you know, if I show up on time, professional. I wonder if it'll work. I said to those guys, I go, you guys are really lucky that I'm a good dude because y'all just gave me, like, a bunch of money to take care of the team. (laughs) 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 The team could go left and I could go right and I could be in, like, 
<laughs> I like to tap back into what you were saying about Ternowski, you know, taking care of you. Know, I think that's that's great. You know, Sal's always been a great guy that's taking care of me. I've always spoken highly of him. The same yeah. as the same as Nottis, you know, and like you know, as you know, as we touched on earlier, it's uh I think those guys, you know, they they, they know more of where you're coming from than the guys like, you know, when I was on Acme you know, there were, I couldn't go to Jim Gray and be like, yo, I need, so, you know, like that dude, that dude put us on a Greyhound, send us home with like 20 bucks, you know what I'm saying? Like, that dude, <laughs> this dude, this dude's paying for y'all to go to school. I didn't even have enough money to get back home to go to school. I'm supposed to be going down to Virginia, actually. Um, we're doing a contest for Juneteenth right outside of, um, it's going to be at uh, Portsmouth, right outside of uh, Newport News. Okay. We're doing a big contest for Juneteenth, which is uh, you know, Juneteenth is the last day that they freed the slaves. So they're making yeah. out of they're making out of they're making out of government holiday everywhere. So he got the he got the city park. He got the city to give him the park for three days. So I'm gonna go down there, we're gonna host a big contest and um, I'm gonna do a couple pop ups while I'm down in Virginia. You know, I've always thought it was a little different with with you guys, you know, with you, Nod and Sal, you know, all the older guys that street skated, you know, because you guys had a lot more in common with us. And, you know, you can understand where we were coming from. And when we came with an issue, it wasn't so much, we weren't just talent, we were people to you guys. Yeah, and, cool. You I know, and I think that's very, that's a very important thing that, you know, a lot of people need to understand about skateboarding and the industry. You know, it's like, oh. you see it with a lot of companies, man. It's like, like, they don't, once, once they're done with you, talent, they ain't got nothing to do with you, you know, and, like, like oh, I, st- I, st- I still feel very good rapport. I, st- I still speak to Sal. I still, Nottis just hit me up the other day. And so it's, uh, you know, it's it's very good to still speak to some of those people because they, they uh, you know, they did a lot. They polished us a lot, you know. WCRP. When Mark Abdo left from over there, man, it was just like, like, Here's a life raft. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he did because Mark didn't really know. Mark was taking off doing his own thing, you know, and like, and Mark, had, you know, Mark, Mark already had a plan, you know, and I didn't know Mark like that, you know, and Mark made sure that I hooked up with Kareem. You know. He's what a, he's like an amazing human being. I've, just, I've heard nothing but amazing like stories about him and how he's helped people, and, and you know, that's the thing that like we had your your Mark Oblos, your Mike Dronaskis, your Fausto's like, oh man, Clyde, here's a funny one for you. Good one too. Like when we started fun, you know, we kinda had no clue about who we were me, John and Jesse started this company and had no idea of a lot of things. But we were very enthusiastic. And I think that's the one thing that is I, I learned when you're starting a company, you you one thing I learned right off the bat is you, you definitely don't want to start a company mad. Because you can't you can't stay mad for like ever. So <laughs> If you start a company because you're pissed at your sponsor and then you stay mad, that company usually fails because you started the company mad. And so how long can you stay mad? Usually you can stay mad about a week. <laughs> but <laughs> a week, you just got to let that shit go and move the fuck on. So if you start a company with love, it's amazing what that company can do because you started with love. You didn't. You just went, let's do this. What the fuck? Right? Okay, so we did that. And so one of the ladies came over from Slab to sell us advertising. So we're like, okay. I said, this lady's coming over to sell us ads. Jesse, we got like, she's gonna tell us what we're gonna pay each month, and we're gonna do ads. And Jesse's like, hell yeah, you know, we're doing it right. So she sits down. She's a nice lady. I know her from the office. She's a good woman. 
And she basically just tells us, she says something basically like 800 a year. And we're like, 800 a year. So we hear 800 a year. So we're like, <laughs> okay, sounds fucking great. She leaves, shake hands, have a nice night, boom, boom. Well, the split of, boom, boom, that in the dog in the Right now, my mentality at the time was 800 a year. Okay, I'm going to come up with 800 for you, but I'll figure it out. I got a year to come up with it. Okay. <laughs> so about the 10th month, so in October of that year, I come up with my little $800 payment, 800 a year. <laughs> and the people in the office, they look at me and, and thrash me. They look at me and they kind of chuckle. <laughs> and they go, you're only, you only owe $7,200. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And they're like, 800 a year, Ron. 800 a month for a year. And I went, oh, whoa. <laughs> they were like, and they were like, so you've been doing ads for 10 months now. You owe us $8,000. And basically, you just brought us 800 You know, if, if you weren't, you know, and I go, I got to talk to Fausto. I got to talk to Fausto. And they're like, you, you better talk to Fausto because we're going to have to shut your ass down here. You owe you owe us like seventy two hundred dollars, right? So I go to I go to Fausto's office, you know, full on dog dog with the tail between the legs, like Fausto, I fucked up, man. Fausto's like, <laughs> sitting in his office. He's like, hmm, you really fucked that one up, bro. <laughs> she said eight hundred a year. I, I didn't hear eight hundred a month. I heard eight hundred a year, right? So he goes, you you right, don't you? And I said. Well, you know, he goes, you went to college? I said, I did. He goes, you can write. I said, I can. And he goes, you're going to write a column for slap. I go, I am. And he goes, I'm going to pay you a quarter a word. You better get wordy. Oh, wow. (laughs) He goes, you better be verbose. You better come up with some really long. (laughs) Wow. so I start writing this column and slap. And everybody's like, wow, you have a column and slap. And I'm like, I sure as fuck do, dude. Yes, I do. And I also don't have debt anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I need that column and slap. Right my ass off. I remember there was times, man, when I wasn't, it was when I came back from, uh, it was around 2008, around 2008, 2011. And I wasn't really, wasn't really doing much of myself. I was just down in Florida, just fucking around. You know, I thought I was thought I was a little coke dealer for a minute. I, I was an, an idiot, just doing nothing for a long time. And uh, but I was also writing, and that was my only uh, form of income. So man, I was writing my ass off. I was I was writing about shit. I don't even know what I was. I was I was, I was going around <laughs> pictures of weird boats and shit. I was like, hey, dog, y'all gonna hear about this? <laughs> well, I'm talking about, I wrote, okay, so Jeff Plant graduated from Davis, writing something about urban transcendentalism, and I straight borrowed that shit from him and did a whole story on urban, trans- urban transcendentalism, how skateboarders view their man-made environment, and did a whole three-part series about, like, most skateboarders, when they look at a marble bench, will actually go and call their friends and be like, yo, there's this marble bench on the other side of town. It's fucking sick, right? I go, we have this weird aesthetic towards stuff that a man made. Most people sit on a bench and go, whatever, I ate my lunch and moved on. And then, and when I and then I go back to Jeff many, many years ago, his whole thesis was about that. So I kind of restole back my idea and started writing about it for a slap. I wrote about when we got, when I got robbed and my car got broken into in New York and they got, I had a cassette deck and we were on the road and I had a full Honda, the car got broken into and they caught the dude. And then I had to go down to number one Manhattan Plaza, which is where the Brooklyn banks were. And they were like, dude, 
do you know that a million car stereos in New York get stolen every year, and you get <laughs> one back? And you're like one in a million. And I was like, yeah. Wow. That, that was some. That was that was some crazy times. That I can remember bringing the Souls of Mischief tape and the Dell the Funky Homo Sapien tape from Oakland, and we had gone to New York, and we were listening to Stretch of Bobito, like super late at night, recording those so we could drive back home listening to Stretch of Bobito. And, I'm, I mean, just I can remember, like, Huff and, like, Keenan meeting us at the car, and it wasn't even about, like, meeting us at the car, like, hey, what's up? They're meeting us at the car, like, yo, you got that soul in that Dell? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You still riding in that big old raggedy van? <laughs> <laughs> that big raggedy van is downtown. It's, it's down in Florida at my house. Oh, so, <laughs> so how yeah, you get down there? So how you I get? Flew. How you got to Massachusetts? I flew up here. You got know, okay. a raggedy van up here? I was wondering if you had any sense. You know what? Um, the first time when I really went to SF. Um, I ended up hooking up with Lance Stars, and uh, you know he, he took he took a liking to me, and he was a very nice guy. Always been one of the nicest dudes ever. You know, he's very he helped me out a lot at first too, put me in slap, and you know, like I didn't know the dude from Adam. He just, you know, he'd always told me about his cousin was Dominique Dawes. He loved telling me that story. You know, I had a cousin. You know, he loved he loved telling me that story. But Lance was my yeah. man. I remember when I first got out there, Lance was like, "Hey man, you got to check these guys out," and he gave me this tape, but it was a blue tape. And I remember taking it back home. I was listening to it. Oh, he's like, baby, I check these guys out. And then on the way to, uh, I think you remember that bank? And uh, it was in Oakland. It was at the school. It was like a weird, it was just like a weird bank. And, and, and like a, it was like a weird park, I want to say. Um, I had a, a kick whip on it. I want to say you skated in the old Shackle Me Not video. It looked oh, like, 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 like a long nipple almost, you know, and it was just on the side of like a sidewalk in a park and, in Oakland, but I remember he took us there and he took us to the bench against the fence and some more stuff. And um, he was like, "Hey, hold on, I got to go uh, drop off this interview for this guy." And it was um, kind of find out just that day he gave me the Souls of Mischief demo tape, and then the guy we went and he had to go talk to about the interview and drop off stuff with the guy from Green Day. That guy's from Oakland, correct? Coming up this season on WCRP. Yo, what's up, Chet? It's Clive Singleton. Um, can you uh, give me a call back, man? I'm locked in this room in Jim Gray's house. Call me back whenever you can. Peace. I, I, just, I vividly remember that. Like, as a kid, it was like, you know, I'd always see Green Day and be like, yo. And it was like, people didn't believe me. You know, I'd be like, yo, man, I remember I was out in Cali. Because my friends always knew I had that tape. And I also had another tape. Like, I had another tape that I got from SF, and it was... um. It was a uh, Black Moon first time. Speaking of uh, stretch, it was Black Moon. It was a first time boot camp was on Stretch and Barbito, and those were oh. like, like crown jewels back then, you know. And uh, oh, yeah, that was joint. And uh, man, I, I just that I was I was such when you said Stretch and Barbito, man, that just man, oh. that is just oh, my era. Dude, right there, you just said boot camp, man, and like so the View has this ten year reunion, right? The View Shop in Baltimore, Gary Smith. Fucking love that man. And he's, he has the View Shop, 10 year reunion, and he's got um, Smith and Wesson playing. And I'm like, yo, Gary, 
I want to be on the bill. And he's like, well, man, I got six different bands before then, and, you know, I'd love to. I know you know you rhyme and stuff, but, you know, can't like I can't. I have too many people on the bill. Oh, that's all good. Huh? Can I get in for you, Okay, so then I'm like, I remember, I, like, the, the day of the gig, he calls me up, and he goes, dude, this is so hip-hop. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, two of the dudes in one band got arrested or something like that. So, like, do you want to play? And I was like, oh, my God, hell yeah, I want to play, right? So I was supposed to be, like, the first band out. And then all, like, there'd be, like, four other bands and then Smith Lesson. So, and they have this little thing in the background, in the, like, in this backstage area where your name and then all the other bands. And so I went back to look. I was like, oh, so, and then my name wasn't first anymore. My name got moved back to, like, fourth. And I was like, whoa, what a trip. And so then the first band went on, second band went on. And then I was like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, you go on before Cormega. And then, like, it's like me, Cormega, and then Smith and & Wesson. And I'm like, what happened? And they're like, your DJ is DJ Remedy. So Cormega's going to use Remedy. So it's easier to just uh, keep the DJs. So it's like, so I got to go up with my favorite DJ on the planet, DJ Remedy. And he basically, we did a set. And it was just like, you know, I'm looking out in the crowd, and I, get, I remember seeing Rodney Jones, big smiling face with this girl, super hyped. Everyone was so fucking hyped. And the show, I fucking killed that show. Like, I had, I was like, I know too many motherfuckers here, I gotta kill it. I just know too many motherfuckers here, I gotta fucking kill it. Okay, uh-huh. so I walk off stage, and I'm just like, man, I think I did it, you know? And the boot camp dudes, they were like, yeah, blood, like, you got the motherfucking crowd popping. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm a skater, and they're all skaters. And they were like, no, nah, blood, ain't got nothing to do with it, dude. You you were rocking, man. And I was like, oh, thank you, you know? And I was just, like, still kind of excited that I left, like, my mic up on stage. And so about, you know, 10 minutes later, I went, oh, my mic, I went to get it. And I see Cormega, and he's holding it, and he's like, yeah, this is the mic I'm using. I'm going to use this mic tonight. This is tight. And I was like, that's my mic. Okay, so then I was like, well, I mean, I can't be bummed. I'm not going to go through and like, give me my mic back, Cormega, you know? So, yeah. so it, it's totally cool, right? So he, he uses my mic through the whole set, man. I'm just like, damn, right? So then after that, after he gets off, like it's it's that Smith and Wesson comes on and they they came off super quick because he did a couple songs with him and so he walks off and he has my mic to to a buckshot shorty and so the sound man he sees me standing there and he goes so you want me want me to get your mic back <laughs> and I go no dude this is totally cool man like, <laughs> so they do their whole set but in my set one of the funniest craziest things is in my set I look out in the crowd and I go I look out in the crowd. I'm like, well, there's a dude out in the crowd that looks like dead on Kareem Campbell. And I'm like, I kind of, when during one of my, when the DJ's like, the DJ's cutting his scratch and he's cutting his scratch and I go over to him and he's like, oh, this is tight. I go, dude, Kareem Campbell has a doppelganger. And he goes, a doppelganger? And he's cutting scratch and cutting scratch and he goes, I know he has a twin, bro. There's a twin, there's a nigga up in there. Yeah. <laughs> on Kareem Campbell, bro. And he goes, no way. I go, yeah, you'd you be tripping. So then we finish the set, and I'm just like, man, you know, I'm walking on clouds. Like, I'm just, like, walking, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this, right? I'm sitting outside of the club with my man, Mel, Melly Mel, and we're sitting there, and he's getting ready to twist up a nice one, and it was Kareem. And he walks up, and he goes, what's up, bro? I'm like, what? Mind completely blown, dude. It was Kareem Campbell. He was right there the whole set. He goes, dude, I was in New York, and Cormega's like, I'm headed down to Baltimore. 
I got a set. I go, Carmega? He goes, yeah, that's my, like my uncle or my cousin. I'm like, uh-huh. And he goes, he goes, and he goes, he goes, he goes, so who are you opening for? And he goes, oh, Smith & Wesson. And he goes, yeah, there's some dude, uh, like Ron Allen, MC Intelligence. And he goes, wait, Ron Allen? He goes, oh, man, I got to go. And I'm telling, I, man, I, tears in the eyes, like, scream, like you were in the crowd of my, like, that's just, like, I just can't even tell you how exciting that was. And music has been one of those things that has been, like, skateboarding and music together are two of the best things ever and like I've been able to like be with like Chuck Patrice and like Jason Moran and um like just all these different artists that make really wonderful music with that skate and like this guy this guy Chris down in San Diego has gotten me get I played like with Andy Mack doing I've done a couple shows with Andy Mack skating and it's just you know I, it's I'm, I can't front, man. I I love skating so much, and I love music so much, and to be able to do both is really amazing. And if I can keep doing that for another couple of years, you know, I might be able to actually retire from it. But I would, if I did, it'd only be because I couldn't, because it's the most fun thing ever. Like playing, getting a chance to play in Tampa, and then getting a chance to play the Bricks, and then you know, it's like the skate park of Tampa. I owe the biggest. Thank you two for being you know, I mean, in the contest at my very old age at 57, and then let me play music in two of their venues. You know, um, Max Fitch, uh, Mark, Marco, Mar- I call him Marcatron, is one of, like, one of the greatest men on the planet. He's given me a chance to play music there in their basement, and it's just crazy how, like, skate, if it wasn't, I look at it, if it wasn't for skateboarding, I, I don't know what, what happened in this. Next week on WCRP. H Street looked at me like, nigga, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, we got us, we got us a new nigga. Yeah. <laughs>